the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're listening to SoCal Live with Scott Furrow on 99.5 KKLA. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Southern California Live. Scott Furrow, your host. It's great to be with you on this fine Friday afternoon. I hope that your day is going well. I hope that you got some afternoon coffee, that you've got some weekend plans. If there are work plans, well, I hope your work goes well. And I hope you're enjoying your ride on the freeway. On Fridays, we do Open Phone Friday. You can call with any topic that's on your mind. We have some things that we will talk about and bring to the uh, conversation here. The number is 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. But if you want to change the conversation, you have the ability to do that on Fridays. And I am the host. I will let you do that, but then I will steer us back to whatever it is we might have been talking about. Uh, unless your change just creates a much better conversation. That happens sometimes. 888-528-2557 is the number. Uh, A couple of you have been on hold for a while, so I want to go to your calls, and then we'll get to some other things here in this segment. Uh, Troy in El Cajon, welcome to Southern California Live. Hello. Hi, Troy. Thanks Uh, for holding on for so long. Yeah, no problem. Uh, This is for the lady who's having the legal issues with the ADA. Yeah. There is a company out there called Prepaid Legal. What it is is it's literally legal insurance. In other words... To get a lawyer for situations like this, they have it for both personal and for businesses, okay? Okay. So it won't help her or her son in this situation because the lawsuit has already been filed. In other words, it's like you get in a car wreck and you say, oh, I'm going to go get insurance, cover cover that wreck that I was in when I wasn't insured. So that wouldn't work for her now. But when she's talking about situations where down the road something could happen – this could possibly save them a lot of problems and be able to get the the attorney they need to fight to fight this situation. All right. So if she's still listening, she can Google prepay attorney and then uh, that might help her. There's different companies prepaid that legal. Uh, prepaid is, legal is, is the exact company. All right. All right. Well, okay. thank you for that, Troy. And second. Yeah. Second. Uh, the whole thing with Trump, I'd like to push back a little on that when we're talking about him. Uh, saying that the election was stolen. I think 2,000 mules proved that just with so much evidence. And 2,000 mules so is uh, is the movie that, uh, by the way, is produced by Salem Media Group, who also produces the show. Yes. Yes. All right, did you watch that movie? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I watched that movie, too. I actually thought it was a lot better than I expected kind of going into it. And, uh, you know, yes. with with the conversation we had in the last hour about the Wisconsin court today saying that the uh, ballot drop boxes in Wisconsin are illegal, um, it connects with that movie quite well, because what that movie basically um, was proposing is that, um, and this is actually legal in a lot of states, it's not legal in Wisconsin, okay? In uh, in many mm-hmm. states, including California, it's completely legal to give your, your signed and filled out ballot to somebody else to deliver for you, and they can deliver it, they can drop it in the mail, they can take it to the registrar voters, they can put it in these drop boxes, right? It raises questions about right. 
It's, and then there's called ballot harvesting, where what that is is that you go out and you collect a lot of ballots. So it can be a uh, – both sides do it. The Democrats tend to be a lot better at it for whatever reason. Um, but you can go out and the harvesting is when it's when it's legal, and my opinion is it should not be legal, but when it is legal, right. what you do is you go out and you can go to your apartment complex, for example, and go door to door and say, hey, you got your ballot. Uh, would you like me to deliver it for you? And the legal way to do it is you make sure that they have filled it out and you didn't watch or help and they sign it and seal it and then they give it to you and uh, legally you can do that. And what happens is, is particularly in metropolitan areas, you can go out and gather a whole lot of ballots that may or may not have actually been turned in because people don't get around to it, right? They mail them later, they forget to mail them or they don't care. Uh-huh. And so it's a strategy that when it's legal, you get a whole lot of a whole lot more votes. Um, in some states, however, it's not legal. In Wisconsin, uh, that probably was done, and the in Wisconsin, it's only legal to do if you're a family member. You can't just grab somebody else's ballot and turn it in. You have to do it as a family member, and you have to do it at the registrar of voters or put it in the mail. Uh, you don't. You are not allowed to do it in a uh, drop box. And what the court decided in Wisconsin was that those drop boxes were created by uh, the Wisconsin Election Commission, but were not authorized by the legislature, and therefore they're illegal. So in in that movie, um, you see, by using cell phone tracking and stuff, an organization tracked a whole lot of people. They called them mules in uh, multiple states doing this, right? And in some of those states, Mm -hmm. that practice, if indeed that's what those people were doing, um, then those votes would not be legal uh, votes because they weren't turned in by the right person. Right. You know, and the fact that that's even legal in certain states is absolutely scary by itself. I mean, that just that just makes. Well, it raises a lot of questions about the custody of ballots. And, you know, what what happens on the illegal side, even in our state, is what if I just went to my apartment complex and I grabbed a bunch of ballots and said, can I fill these out for you? And people say, sure. And then suddenly I get a whole bunch of votes. Uh, the other part is you you drop them in and that that decision. I read that decision and they were concerned about the possibility of. You know, people can just grab them out of that that bin, or they can run into the bin with their car and take a bunch of ballots. That it's not as safe as a as mailing it, um, or at least it's going through a contractor who's supposed to deliver the mail. There's a whole lot of things. The only thing I would say on the issue of proving, right? And I saw that that program, and I think it really should um, encourage us to deal with how we're doing this with these mail ballots. That it is not secure. Uh, when people said 2020 was the most secure election, it's not. It, that it definitely made a case for that. The problem is, is that we don't. We know that there are people doing that, but we don't know what those ballots were. We don't know who they're voting for. We don't know that it wasn't Trump people doing it, and they were Trump votes. We we can't prove it. I mean, do I think they were? No, but yeah, but I'll you, fight back against that. Just because how do you prove you remember it? How do you prove election? it? Okay, prove well, it. Hold on one second. Okay, again. When you say that you can't prove it, you might be right, but except for one small point. Okay. Before the before those ballots were counted and everything like that, Trump had a huge lead, and almost every one of those ballots that came in were Democratic. We don't know that. That's that's the part you can't prove, and I, and I'm not even saying I disagree yeah, with that that suggestion, yeah. but you can't prove that. You can't. We don't know which ballots those were. That's that's the problem with with proof and evidence, right? Is that, and that's why most of the time 
um, all those cases lost in court is you couldn't prove whose votes were counted when. And once those envelopes were opened and the ballots were put into the machine, that's it. You don't know. And that's okay, and that's yeah, part that's, of the problem that needs to be resolved, right? Is that you're asking a question okay. and you've got a feeling that a lot of people have, and you're not. It's not just the Trump election, right? Stacey Abrams said that about her election, uh, where she lost in Georgia in 2018, that it wasn't legit, and she's suing. And it's the same problem she has: is she can't prove it. Mm-hmm. See what I'm okay. saying? Fair enough. All right, I appreciate your call, Troy. Thank you very much for that. And uh, you know, if you if you're into this issue, and I think. To, a, to an extent of making sure our elections are secure. It matters greatly. All right. This, this is a problem. It's a problem. You know, and that Wisconsin court found that problem. They said, hey, these rules were not followed. The, they were illegal. The a unelected executive branch commission, the Wisconsin Election Commission, came up with their own rules for how to, a ballot can be uh, turned in. And that's not legal. It's the job of the legislature. And it is important to do because uh, we need our elections to be trusted. And that's where we are. This, this, here's something that you could Google and you could find, all right, if you're into this. This is from 2005, after the Bush-Gore debacle in Florida, okay? People were worried about, about it back then. And we saw, you know, the, if you were around for that, Bush won Florida by 537 votes, and Al Gore was uh, asking for recounts, but he was only asking for it in counties that might be more beneficial to him. And if he made up 537 votes there, then he would become the president. And uh, basically, the Supreme Court said you can't really do that, ultimately. And, and we watched this, right? And we watched people try to determine what the votes were. They were hanging chads. There were chads that were – chads are the, on those ballots that used to punch through. Um, you would You would – have to determine what did the voter intend to do. And the the problem is, is you don't really know what the voter intended to do. Um, And it just got to be absurd. After that, there was a bipartisan commission. It was, and it was made to put together something called the Help America Vote Act. If you Google the Help America Vote Act, you can read it. You can read their summary of recommendations. I'm actually holding it in my hand because I have it here. And it goes through all of these things, ballot boxes, uniformity within states, voting machines, all the – this is 15 years old. And it's basically saying these are the things that are coming that are going to be a challenge to our elections in the future. And it's a prophetic document because the uh, elections that are being challenged today, the feelings that people have, are rooted in these loopholes and these problems that are in our election system. And if we want to move forward in a healthy way – We've got to go forward and say, hey, why don't we implement these things? Why don't we do this? And it's called the Help America Vote Act. It never got passed. It never got, you know, some places upgraded certain things here and there. But we've got a lot of problems. And this document's 15 years old. Um, it's a great document. I think it needs to be resurrected or something like it, my opinion. 888-528-2557 is the number. 888-528-2557. Uh, is the number. Let's go to Anna in LC, in uh, Encino. Uh, Anna, welcome to Southern California Live. Yes, thank you so much, and thank you for your program. It's uh, wonderful that we all get to hear people's opinions about different things. Um, praise God for that. And, you know, I, was, um, I watched a documentary that may be interesting for some people to watch it as far as elections and uh, proofs and evidences. It's called 2000, number 2000, 
and mule. Yes, we were just, that's the one we were just talking about. Oh, I just turned the radio on, so I yeah. didn't know if you talked about it. It's it's fantastic. I mean, it's wonderful to watch it. That's all I wanted to say. All right, thank Anna. Thank you so much, and God bless you. Yeah, Anna, thank all you. Right. Thank you very much for your call. And uh, you can uh, find that at Salem Now. Once again, uh, that's the company that also produces the show. Um, but I thought it was actually really well done. Um, and you know, you've got to be careful with the word prove. Well, this proves it. You know, proof is something, and and. You know, if you're ever sued, you're ever part of a, a criminal prosecution or something like that, proof is going to become very important to you. And somebody who says it or feels strongly or it looks like maybe, that's not proof. Uh, I used to know somebody who um, her thing was if she ever disagreed with you, she would come back and go, I feel strongly about this. It's like, well, you feeling strongly doesn't make it any more true or false. You know, you can't do that. You have to actually have evidence and you have to actually produce it. And you might actually be right, but if you can't prove it, you can't prove it. And uh, that that matters in our system and that's going to matter to every one of us um, if we ever found ourselves in trouble or we found ourselves falsely accused or if we needed to uh, prove something on our behalf, we got to have evidence and proof. Uh, not just evidence, but uh, proof. 888-528-2557 is the number. You're listening to Southern California Live. Scott Furrow, your host. Uh, Jim in Los Angeles, welcome to Southern California Live. How you doing, Jim? I'm doing good. How you doing today? I'm doing fine, Jim. All right, so here's the deal. You know, those elections are over and they're gone. We can argue all we want to know. It doesn't matter, you know, whether you watch 2000 or whatever. Trump lost. He we need to we need to not chances. be having this conversation in 2024 about that uh, election. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, the, the, the issue we're discussing is going back to 2020. So I'm saying that uh, yeah. uh, he was given 50 chances in 50 different courts to like prove his case. He failed to do that. To me, he was a train wreck. And everybody that jumped on that train got injured because people are doing time right now in jail for going on January 6th insurrection, and he is free, you know, drinking all cocktails over there in Miami, whatever, it's over. Anyway, yeah. right. what I was calling about was, what I was, what I was calling about was uh, this girl in Russia. Yeah. You know, they call her CG. Anyways, you know, so many scenarios from that case. Now they're getting like a Biden involved, and I said, man, you know, Biden has got other things to worry about. All these people are protesting and all that. They got Tom Brady involved in that. They got LeBron James. They mentioned in their names and said, these guys are too smart that, number one, they will never go to Russia. Number two, they'll never bring all those things that she was bringing. This is her deciding to go to Russia. Of all the places in the world, if I was looking for a second job, I would not take it in Russia. That's number one. Uh-huh. Two, they, they can protest all they want to protest. But here's the key. Nobody is talking about getting on their knees and pray. Mm. That's my key. They're trying to use it to say, Oh, it's because she's a lesbian or she's gay or she's black. And none of that counts. You understand what they need to do? They need to get on their knees and pray. That's my message. All right. Okay? I, you know, I'm with you there. We need, we, we need to pray and uh, we need to pray for her and not criticize, uh, you know, her without praying for her and realize that um, uh, she's in a bad situation and it's an international situation that could lead to war actually. We talked about this in uh, 
at length yesterday on yesterday's program, actually. You can always go to kkla.com and find the podcast of our program. Just uh, do a keyword search, SoCal Live. You'll find the podcast on kkla.com if you want to listen to that. This is Southern California Live. I'm Scott Farrow, your host. The number is 888-528-2557. It's Open Line Friday. Lots of things in the news. You know, a a terribly sad thing happened yesterday in uh, Japan the former ambassador or former prime minister of Japan Shinzo Abe was assassinated um by somebody with a homemade gun there's hardly any gun violence in Japan but somebody made a homemade one and uh we don't have all the details on that but he was assassinated and uh Shinzo Abe was a great friend of the United States he was the longest serving prime minister of Japan and uh he the world today is mourning uh, his loss and very concerned about what happened. Here is the uh, Secretary of Defense um, uh, Blinken today. Mr. Abe was an extraordinary partner uh, and someone who clearly was a great leader for Japan, uh, the Japanese people, but also so admires local. Hard to hear that, but he was just reflecting on that he was a hero for the Japanese people and that he was a friend uh, to the United States and a great leader. And um, to learn a little more, there's a, a man named Victor Cha, who is at the Center for International Security and Cooperation at uh, Stanford University. And here is what uh, he had to say. First of all, he was an extremely knowledgeable person. You know, politicians aren't often that deep, but he was very deep on almost every issue. He had expert-like bureaucratic knowledge on almost every issue. And that was always impressive to me. Firmly, firmly pro-alliance. He was about the best friend that the United States could have as a leader in Japan, you know, a major democracy. And and I think in many ways he anticipated the threats to the liberal international order long before many other leaders did. Um, so quite, uh, quite thoughtful. You know, I know he's often painted as being sort of a real hawk on, on the, on the, um, political spectrum. But, you know, he moved a left of center security debate in Japan more to the center and right of center uh, in ways that were beneficial both to the United States and to the liberal international order. So this is really quite a sad day. It is a sad day. And, um, you know, he was an important ally to the United States, uh, a great leader of Japan. What struck me about him as a leader a few years ago um, was that he knew how to keep the bigger picture in mind, that he knew how to keep the main thing the main thing. Whenever Donald Trump was elected and uh, the world was very surprised by that, as uh, many people here were, not everybody, but, um, you know, he was the first foreign leader to come meet with, with President Trump, and he treated him like any foreign leader would treat any other president. And the reason I thought that was really good about that was that he kept Japanese needs at the forefront of his policy making that he felt like the threats of China, the threats that are going on in that part of the world that we're seeing now, that we're feeling now, um, were the most important things. And I think that's one of the reasons that he was uh, a great leader. It's one of the reasons that both Democrats and Republicans today are giving him praise um, because he wanted to do uh, what was right. Um, I'm sure he had his political foes, and the person who shot him says it wasn't political. We don't really know what that's about or what that person was dealing with. Um, 
And uh, but you know what? He was a very good leader, a very good leader in the world in the 21st century. And uh, it's a terrible thing uh, that that happened to him. And uh, hopefully it's not a sign of of things to come um, or that it's not something bigger um, that would lead to war or other catastrophes in that region. Uh, so we want to pray for his family and pray for our friends uh, in Japan. And uh, maybe some of you uh, have come from Japan and you've got some thoughts about it. We'd love to hear from you uh, today. 888-528-2557 is the number. 888-528-2557. It is Open Phone Friday, and we do this every Friday on most Fridays. I say that because once in a while we don't. But it's it's a great opportunity to to give a call and say, hey, this is what's on my mind. I need some clarification about this. Or maybe you've got a Bible question or something going on in the news that you think is uh, worthy of uh, having a conversation that we haven't had yet and um, or just something that's on your mind. This is our opportunity as a, a family here on our radio family to to do that. 888-528-2557. And of course, if uh, you don't have those things, well, I got plenty right here in the stack uh, that we can talk about. And we're going to get to that here in just a, uh, when we get back from the break. Did you know that uh, Bernie Sanders is trying to regulate your phone charger for your phone? Uh, that's true. I don't know if it's because he couldn't plug it in and you can't find his charger or, you know, he lost it. Uh, do you have a, do you have a box full of chargers? We just moved, right? And we did pretty well this time at keeping all the chargers with their devices, but out in the garage, we still have a whole box full of, of different adapters for different things. We have no idea what they go to. We've probably thrown away whatever it was that it used to go to at some point. And uh, you keep them, right? Because you think, oh, what if I need this thing? I'm going to have to plug it in one day. How many centuries do we keep these adapters um, for? I don't know. Do you do that? I I sure do. 888-528-2557 is the number. 888-528-2557. Open phone Friday. This is Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow. I'll be right back with your calls. Stay tuned. You're listening to SoCal Live with Scott Furrow on 99.5 KKLA. Welcome back to Southern California Live. Scott Furrow with you today. It's Open Phone Friday. Anything that you'd like to talk about, we will talk about on our show today. 888-528-2557. If you've got a question about the Bible, you want to talk about something going on in the world, in your life, whatever it is, 888-528-2557. We'll do this on Fridays. Something we can do as a radio family together and uh, get an idea of what's on your mind. There's a lot of different things in the news in Los Angeles. Los Angeles has um, uh, people who are looking to re recall the uh, district attorney have turned in their signatures. And uh, that looks like that is going to happen. The recall attempt of attorney District Attorney George Gascon uh, failed last year. They didn't get enough signatures. This year, 715,000 signatures were turned in. I think they only needed about 500 and, and some thousand. You always turn in more. If you're ever doing one of those things, you turn in a whole lot more because they do a test of the signatures to make sure that they're registered voters in Los Angeles County in this case. And, you know, so if you lived in Riverside County and you signed it, your your signature is not going to count. And if too many of those things happen, then the uh, recall will fail. So you always turn in a lot more than you need. You need uh, you need at least five hundred and sixty six thousand eight hundred and fifty seven thousand valid signatures. 
They usually don't check all of them. They do a uh, just a, a sample of them. And then if they turn in too many that aren't good, then they take bigger samples. And it kind of just keeps going that way. Um, and then if it got really close, then they probably would look at all of them. But uh, I think it's going to get recalled. And uh, San Francisco, if you remember, uh, just recalled in June their district attorney. And uh, San Francisco uh, Mayor London Breed uh, has appointed the new district attorney in San Francisco. And she, uh, in looking at all of this, she hired somebody, brought somebody on who had, the voters have to vote on this person uh, this fall. So she may not be the district attorney very long, um, but she's going to be the district attorney for a while. And I think you're going to find it to be very interesting. Here's uh, what she had to say today. The paramount mission of the district attorney's office is to promote public safety. And as your next district attorney, I will restore accountability and consequences to our criminal justice system here in San Francisco. Violent and repeat offenders will no longer be allowed to victimize our city without consequence. Hate crimes will no longer be tolerated. Our Asian community can no longer continue to live in fear of being attacked simply because of who they are as they go about their daily lives in this city. What we know about San Francisco is we are a city that is accepting of everyone. And it is the DA's office's responsibility to hold those who, who target others due to hate accountable. We also know that we have to end the existence of open-air drug markets in our city, and that will be one of my top priorities. I will, I will, from minute one, begin enforcing our drug crime laws so that we can take back our streets for our neighborhoods and our cities. We are a city of second chances, but the truth is we have to draw a line with people who choose hate, violence, and a life of crime. That was new San Francisco District Attorney Brooke Jenkins, who helped recall her predecessor, uh, Chesa Bowden, 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 I think that's how you say it, uh, and she will become the district attorney. She did today. She's the district attorney in uh, San Francisco. She's up for re-election this fall. It's a temporary appointment. But when you listen to that, that's completely the opposite of the direction that district attorneys have been going in many of our big cities. And it's because voters in San Francisco got tired of rampant crime got tired of the open-air drug markets, which are it's just unbelievable. We've talked about that several times in our, our program. You know, it is, it is not compassionate and it is not loving to just let somebody kill themselves. I'm just saying. It's just not. And we have become so upside down on a whole lot of these different issues like this, haven't we? And I think in Los Angeles, we're going to see this same thing happen. I think there's going to be a successful recall with uh, George Gascon. And uh, who knows who he's going to be replaced with? Probably the new mayor of Los Angeles. Um, um, I'm not exactly sure. if uh, I need to look that up, how that person gets replaced. It could be the mayor of L.A. or a county official uh, might be doing that. But it's a pretty significant change in the thinking of our state. And what I think is important for us to realize is that voters did this. And it was voters who decided, you know what, we don't have to toe the party line all the time. Um, people said, oh, this is Trump people trying to uh, re, you know, undo elections. But there are no Trump people in San Francisco. I think there were 6% Republicans who voted in the election. Six. 
That's it. That's all there were. This is Democrats who decided we're done with uh, these other Democrats. We're going to get some new Democrats. So we'll have to see what really happens. So, you know, so there's a lot of skepticism. She sounded really nervous in that speech, I thought. Maybe she's just not a public speaker. And she's obviously being put into a very difficult position. Um, and she's going to have to hold to some things that she said there that are against what that city has been in favor of now for several years. But I think it's a warning sign to L.A. and San Diego and uh, many big cities across the country that voters have a limit at some point to what they will put up with, with philosophies that don't work. With the idea that um, we don't want to be about recovery for homeless people. Instead, we want to be about uh, harm reduction is the philosophy. Harm reduction says that uh, you can go ahead and take the drugs that are bad for you. We will provide somebody nearby and a safe place to do the drugs and somebody nearby to uh, shoot you up with something in case you OD. Uh, that way you won't die, you see. And that philosophy just brings in a whole lot of people, a whole lot of people to do drugs, a whole lot of people to wreck their lives. And to do it right in the middle of the street, it, it has impact on commerce. It has impact on the whole city. It has impact on kids, schools, the whole thing. San Francisco got tired of it. Good for them. We'll have to wait and see how that goes. I think that's coming. It's coming here in uh, Los Angeles. And uh, we'll see. It's Open Line Friday, Southern California Live, 888-528-2557. 888-528-2557. Open Line Friday. You can call about whatever it is that is on your mind. Let's go to Nick in Simi Valley. Nick, welcome to Southern California Live. Hey, Scott. How you doing, sir? Good, Nick. How are you? Good, good. Uh, I was calling. I wanted to hear your uh, take or viewpoint as a former pastor um, on this kind of how I've noticed uh, with the churches being ran as businesses and kind of talking to a lot of people that are in ministry and maybe have been in ministry and left. Um, uh, just what, what is your view on that um, from your experience? On, on churches being run by businesses, you mean, uh, you know, all churches are businesses, basically, most churches. They're nonprofit organizations. Uh, so there's a certain, you know, a certain degree you have to run it like a business. But are, are you saying that churches that focus more on the business part than the uh, business of the kingdom of God? Yes, and I think maybe one thing I noticed specifically is just with all, like, when the churches get really involved with specific programs, and I see that what they're really seeking to do at the heart of it is to get the congregation more involved. Um, but sometimes, I don't know, I, I know it's never going to be perfect, but I don't know if you had any, just from your experience, if, if you think that it should be done different or it shouldn't be a business at all, or if that's just like kind of ridiculous and couldn't be possible. Sure. I'm just curious. I got some thoughts about that. Thank you, uh, Nick. Actually, I got a lot of thoughts about that. I, I might write a book about that to be real honest with you about that subject. Um, churches, Almost all churches are nonprofit corporations in the United States, okay? And so uh, if you're going to a church, at some point, um, that church filed for nonprofit status, and they got it. That's why your giving is tax deductible. That's why the church doesn't pay property taxes if your church owns uh, property. And it has to have regular business um, things. you got to have a set of uh, bylaws, which is like your church constitution. In some states, they call it a constitution. In California, it's just bylaws. And, you know, there's a lot of business things. You have to do some business filing, and you have to be accountable to the state for your giving and uh, for how you run business. Uh, there are certain things that even though you're nonprofit, you still have to be governed by the state. If your church has a preschool, you're governed by California Care Licensing, and there's a whole lot of state involvement in your church preschool. So 
So there's a lot that goes on with your church and business. And uh, you can have, you know, if you want to build something or you want to um, add or buy property, you got to go through it like any other business. And you got to go through permitting processes and a whole lot of stuff. The hard part about that is, you know, there's a lot of hard parts about that. But if you're a pastor and you're not really business minded, you didn't go to seminary to run a nonprofit corporation, hopefully. Uh, now, some of you did. Now, there's some people out there who want to be executive pastors, and their 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 gift is administration, and they love the idea of running a business, and it's great if you have one of those people because that's what they need to do. The difficulty is, and I think there are many, there's a couple of them. One is, at some point, and this is a scary notion, okay, you have a government church because you are a California nonprofit corporation. There are implications of that at your church. And uh, that has those implications are very significant with membership and how that's done with uh, lots of different things about the state. Not all of those are bad. You know, they're, they're really there to protect the church and the congregation. The problem is, is that in the world today where the government used to kind of be on the same side as the church and a lot of stuff, uh, it's not anymore. And the business part of church is... Uh, can eat up a lot of time. It can eat up a lot of money. It can eat up uh, a lot of expense. So you have that. Uh, There's not really a way around that um, unless you're going to go to home churches or the things. You still have some business things to do if there's giving going on and and nonprofit status. Um, It's the reason a lot of people go plant a church in a school or someplace where you just meet in a park. You know, some churches in the shutdown, you know, they got kicked out of the school they were meeting in or the community center they might have been meeting in. And they had to go meet outside in a park or in somebody's house, and they've decided to keep doing that, um, in part because it takes some of the business out of it. Uh, There's a whole lot to this conversation. One of the things I guess I would leave with you that I think is interesting to all of us is you got to make sure that your church is a church that happens to be a business, not a business that happens to be a church. And that would be a question I would ask lots of pastors or churches. Is the way your church actually functions Are you a church where you are training people up to be ministers of the kingdom of God, where you care about the salvation of souls, loving people in your community, and discipling people as Jesus Christ? Is this actually what you do? And whatever programs you're doing, are those programs designed to actually reach people for the gospel? Are they actually there to to promote uh, salvation through Christ, discipleship of the body, growth of the body, those kinds of things that you would do in any kind of church? Or is it uh, a church where you just sort of don't care about that as much as you care about making sure that the budget is met or making sure that, uh, you know, it looks pretty or making sure, you know, all those things are fine. You need your budget to be met. You need the church to look nice. There are things you should be doing, but it can be a subtle difference that actually is all the difference. Is your church a business that happens to be a church or is it a church that happens to be a business? And that's a place where I would start, Nick, with that uh, that conversation. And then don't get into it too much. Just try to get out there and serve the Lord. You know, figure out who it is that's in your life that that you should be making disciples of. Find somebody who's more mature in Christ than you to meet with regularly who will disciple you and be the church. Love your neighbor. Leverage the church, whatever church you have, whatever property you have, whatever gifts the people have in the church. Leverage all that for the sake of loving people in the name of Christ. Your church exists for the benefit of the people who don't go there yet. That should be your mindset. 
And if you do, then the business stuff takes care of itself. God will provide somebody to do the administration and to do it well and focus on those things and uh, trust the Lord if you are doing his will. I got to take a break. It's Open Line Friday, 888-528-2557, 888-528-2557. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. This is SoCal Live with Scott Furrow on 99.5 KKLA. Welcome back, everybody. Southern California Live. Scott Furrow with you today on a fine Friday. Hey, just a programming note for you. And uh, we are uh, building our new show, and I've been with you now for a few weeks, and we are doing some work to uh, put the show together and uh, see what the Lord wants to do with it. And some of that stuff is just kind of fun. And we're looking for a new theme song. You got some theme song ideas. You know what? Let us know. You can email me at SoCalLive at KKLA.com, SoCalLive at KKLA.com, and uh, we'll we'll share some ideas that you've given us or that we've had as we go into this together. And it's been a lot of fun being with you, and uh, hopefully we are growing together. You help me grow, too. That's part of what today is about, Open Line Friday. I get to hear what's on your mind and the different things that uh, you're thinking about. And that really does help shape our, our show together, our afternoon together. And I hope that you join us every every weekday from 3 to 5 right here in KKLA 99.5 FM in Los Angeles and surrounding areas. And if you're in San Diego, we're on Cape Rays AM 1210 and FM 106.1 if you're up in North County. 888-528-2557. I, I mentioned to you that uh, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders want to standardize the charger for your phone. Is this an issue for you? Um, that the charger is different for an iPhone versus, um, you know, an Android phone. Uh, does anybody have Windows phones anymore? Did those go away? You know, Blackberries, I guess those are still around in some form or another. There's different phones. And they have different chargers and uh, different things. And apparently, uh, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are tired of it. And uh, here's what they had to say. Consumers shouldn't shouldn't have to keep buying new chargers all the time for different devices. We can clear things up with uniform standards for less expense, less hassle, and less waste. In a letter sent Thursday to Commerce Secretary uh, Gina Riamondo, Senators Edward Markey, Elizabeth Warren, and Bernie Sanders pressed for a plan to tackle the lack of a universal charger, which they say creates a financial burden for consumers and creates more electronic waste. I personally think that uh, Bernie Sanders just got tired of looking through drawers in his kitchen for the right charger for his phone. Where is it? Where did I put it? It's got to be in here somewhere. You know that's what he was doing. And he's like, we're going to pass a law. We cannot allow. We cannot allow uh, the consumer electronics industry to prioritize proprietary and inevitably obsolete charging technology over consumer protection and environmental health, Um, they said. They didn't specify the type of charging standard uh, that the they would like to have uh, be a regular part of uh, your phone. My sense of it is if the federal government takes over creating chargers for your phone, then you're going to be trying to find a way to put Duracell D batteries into your phone. And uh, that's what's going to happen. There's going to be some kind of, uh, you know, old computer cables that you have to plug into or something like that. Anyway, 888-528-2557. I feel like that the industry should be able to figure this out. I think they're headed there. They're just having a fight between Apple and everybody else. But I, I think they'll figure it out. You know, those kind that you just set the phone down on, have you done those? I think those are great. You just set the phone down on top of something and it charges your phone. That works with any kind of phone. It seems to me that we already have this. Anyway, 888-528-2557. 
And, uh, oh, I was just about to go to your call and you hung up, but uh, you can call back uh, another time. Let's go to uh, Nicole in San Diego. Welcome to Southern California Live. How are you doing, Nicole? Fine, thank you. How are you? I'm fine. Good. Hey, I just wanted to say, you guys have talked about um, the election being challenged in the courts many, many times and that nobody um, could prove anything in the courts. Yeah, today we've had that that? conversation, yeah. Yeah. So I just wanted to make it clear that the uh, the cases that were brought to the courts were never given a chance to be no one no court other than what happened in Wisconsin with the election ballot boxes today no other courts would actually look at the evidence that's why that is a fallacy and I know a lot of people think that the courts have looked at all these things but they actually have refused to look at them so no one has had a chance to show their evidence and I just think the callers and yourself maybe even should. Do a little research on that. And I did see 2,000 Mules, and it was a great movie. And I agree with Troy. I agree that the election was stolen. And I think there's a lot of evidence out there, but I don't think that the courts have actually given the evidence a chance. All right, Nicole, I appreciate your thoughts on that. I think that, uh, you know, a big part of what I'm talking about is you still have to go through the courts. And, uh, you know, the, the thing about the ballots and the mail ballots and the drop boxes, that's something that's tangible, right? That's something that now is in the courts, that Wisconsin has said, no, these, bo- these, these ballots are not legal. And there is a process. It just takes a long time. And um, if we're going to be a country of laws, we still have to follow the process, even if it uh, doesn't go our way for a while, because you've got to have a system that isn't based on a hunch or a belief, or even a lot of evidence that circumstantially might prove your point. Uh, and that's what and I'm what trying was, to say. And what was the document you said that people should look at from 2005? That document is called, uh, there was an organization that was called, they were putting together what's called the Help America Vote Act. If you just Google Help America Vote Act, you can find it and look for their summary of recommendations. And uh, it's profound. It, it mm-hmm. solves well, a lot I'm going to look it up. Because solves, I'm involved in yeah. I'm involved in issues in my community where we're trying to improve election integrity. Mm, um, but one of the things you. that I'm surprised that nobody has offered is why don't we just have paper ballots counted on the same day that they that election is held and counted within the precincts by the people that run the precincts. You could have one party or you know two I mean two people from each party or whatever if you you know want to make it fair. But I'm just saying why haven't we gone to that? France has done that for since the 70s, and I think that's something that we should consider, too. But I'm going to look at that document that you mentioned, because I think that we all need to study this and be uh, we all need to participate in deciding how to improve our election integrity. It can't yes. just be left up to the official people that we you know, think are going to handle it for us. Yeah, I think you're right, and I'm glad that you're involved with that. So the document is called Summary of Recommendations. Thank you for calling, Nicole. Summary of Recommendations, and it's from the Help America Vote Act. I believe it's 2000. Uh, four or five, if you want to put a date on it, that might help you find it, but you should be able to find it on there. Um, and, you know, this is a left and right thing. This is this should not be just people who uh, uh, are Trump supporters and don't like that. It should be all sides should be concerned about the integrity of our elections, and there are issues. So even though there are certain things that are, and there have been for a long time, that's why this document I think is so relevant, is it's 15 years old and you're going to read it and it deals with drop boxes. It deals with absentee ballots. It deals with uh, ID, voter ID. Incidentally, this is nonpartisan, and both sides said you should have voters should be able to should have to show IDs. Um, it's it's a very interesting thing. It deals with voting machines, and uh, you know we should ask. You mentioned uh, Nicole um, 
about how in France or some other countries they count them at the precinct level, the votes. And you know what I notice about other countries? And I follow these elections. I actually have a website that I I do on election nights where I go through all of it because I used to do this uh, as a volunteer. And it's just kind of fun. And it's real wonky. It's not political left and right. It's just, hey, here's how the system works. It's amazing to me that it takes days in some of our elections to figure out how we voted, where in some other countries they figure it out right away. And part of it's because they have a better system of counting at the local level. Have you noticed that? It's like, okay, the vote's over. Who won? And an hour later, they got the results. One time I thought maybe what we ought to do is do, remember the first time after, uh, before Iraq uh, went south, whenever we went into Iraq and people voted for their leader for the first time, which was a joyous moment for people. You know, Saddam Hussein got 100% of the vote in the previous election for that guy, which everybody knows was fake. Um people put their thumb in ink and that's how it proved that they voted. They went, walked around with purple thumbs and they were holding it up, you know, hooray, I got to vote. I thought that's pretty good. Maybe we should do that. Put our thumbs in some ink. All right. 888-528-2557. And uh, we're just about at the end of our program today. Um, <clears throat> lots of things, uh, once again, going on in the news and a lot of things that we will continue to talk about uh, next week. Jimmy Carter had his uh, 75th wedding anniversary yesterday, Jimmy and Rosalind Carter. And uh, most people don't live long enough to have to be married 75 years. I almost got to meet Jimmy Carter one time. I, I've told you I go to these presidential libraries, and I happen to be there. It's in Atlanta, and I happen to be there on his birthday. And uh, I thought, he's going to show up. It's his birthday. Why would he not show up to his library? So I stood out in front, and sure enough, he drives up. He doesn't drive himself. He has a driver. And... Uh, he drives up, Rosalind's with him in the car, and they're parked right in front of me, and I'm standing there all by myself in front of the library. Nobody else is there. And I I had uh, just a stupid uh, camera out with me, and I thought, oh, I'm going to meet a former president. And uh, he they stared at me for a long time, like 10 minutes. They just sat there, and they didn't get out of the car. And then finally they drove off, and then they entered through the back somewhere, which is probably what they should have done in the first place. But I wonder if they just thought, who is this weirdo standing out here uh, waiting to talk to us? Why is he by himself? Why is no one here to greet us? And I think it's because he went into uh, – he was supposed to go in the back. So I went in the library after that. And uh, waited around, and then apparently he greeted some people who worked there in the back, and then he left. And they had a little birthday party for him. And the people who worked inside the library were ticked off because usually he does go through the library and just sort of greet people and say hello. There was a story about him on an airplane recently where he just goes up and down the aisle greeting people. And, uh, you know, I think it was funny that that those people were upset that he didn't go through there, and I thought it's probably my fault. They're thinking there's some weird guy standing out front of this library, and uh, we don't think it's safe for you, sir, to go in there. Um, anyway, if you have an opportunity, you want a touristy thing to do, go to a presidential library. We got the Reagan Library and the Nixon Library here in Southern California. They're both fantastic. You learn a lot about the system and who we are. All right, we are out of time, friends, today. Thank you for calling on Open Line Friday. This is Southern California Live. I'm Scott Furrow, and I just want to remind you that as people who are salt and light, that Jesus called us salt and light, not we want you to become salt and light, not he wants us to become that. He says that you are. So go out there and be salt and light. Go the extra mile to learn how things work, even in our system, in a contentious time that we have today. So many different issues that we talked about today. The unity ultimately is in Christ. The unity that the world has is when we turn our hearts to Jesus Christ and realize that his purposes are the greatest purposes of all time. And your position as disciple maker is the greatest calling you have. God bless you. Have a great weekend. I'm Scott Furrow. I'll see you on Monday. Good night. 
Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.